Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of Irish Abroad and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic. We hope you enjoyed our review of the Premier League season to date. And in this episode, we're going to look back at the championship season and what Irish fans have to look forward to when the championship teams return on Saturday, June 20th. Mark, obviously the COVID-19 outbreak has curtailed football around the world. We're really happy to see the Bundesliga come back. We're really happy to see the Premier League come back. And now the second tier of English football, the championship is coming back. I think there's a lot to look forward to for Irish fans in the next few weeks. Absolutely, Joel. Out of the two divisions, my particular interest would have been really on the EFL Championship because there's so many conundrums, permutations that could happen here, both at the top and the bottom of the table, and really kind of involving an awful lot of Irish talent as well. Looking at Leeds United, West Brom, you know, they're in front at the moment, but you can never discount the likes of the Fulham, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, and then you've literally a slew of about nine to ten teams chasing for those 56 playoff spots and the same in relegation as well charting just inside the bottom three but literally they're in touch and distance of stoke city on 42 points like there's only three points between 22nd and 17th so there's an awful lot to play for here joe and as i said you know plenty of irish talent here for stephen kenny and the national management to have a look at yeah, I think as well that like with Liverpool running away with the, the Premier League this season, it's kind of taken the, the, the glass off the division a little bit. And as you say, anything can happen in the championship. You know, you always have seven new sides every season. It's impossible to tell who's going to win at the start of the season. We've all seen early favourites fall and fall hard. And we've seen teams come from nowhere, put a run together in the second half of the season and uh, get into the playoffs and, and go up to the Premier League. We'll start with Birmingham City. You know, they're currently 16th in the league uh, on 47 points. You know, they're 10 points behind Preston, 6th in the last playoff spot. And they're 8 points clear of Charlton. So in no danger of of relegation either. I think the signing of Dan Crowley in the summer proved to be, maybe wasn't quite the player that we had hoped that he would be after, you know, playing so well in, in Holland. But he's been the creative spark in for Birmingham when he's played. I know he seems to have his, his heart set on on playing for Ireland. And he did play for the under-17s only in friendlies before deciding he would play for England. And then having another change of heart and you know, deciding that his heart really does lie with, with the, the Irish national side. Do you think that he's a player really that Stephen Kenny is looking at? I think so. You know, it'll be interesting these last nine games if Crowley does get a look in. I know there was an announcement in Birmingham City that their first team head coach is now going to depart at the end of the season. And Birmingham City, they've had an awful lot of turbulent years in terms of financial issues, managers coming in and coming out. So, I mean, for Crowley, last nine games, you know, as you say yourself, Joe, when he's played, he's looked really sharp on the ball, very technically gifted. And definitely is someone that, from a Republic of Ireland standpoint, could definitely add to our squad, particularly in the final attacking third. So it really is all down to the player. Uh, as I kind of said last week, for a number of other Irish players that are applying their trade in the EPL, it's really down to Crowley himself and pressing and training these preseason games. I think he's looked particularly good. So hopefully he'll get the game time. And if he does, then obviously Stephen Kenny will be on high alert. He was perhaps unfortunate to be left on the bench in the Dutch Cup final last season when Mick McCarthy flew to the Netherlands to see him play and only came on for the last half an hour, by which time Mick McCarthy had already left to catch his return flight. So he could be one of these players that the, the next management team actually gets, uh, gets the best out of. I did see Crowley play 
for Barnsley a few years ago on loan from from Arsenal against Millwall at the Den, and he was the best player on the pitch in terms of his his control, his vision, passing ability, everything good that Barnsley were doing was coming through him. At the time, he has still declared for England, and I felt that he was a player that that Ireland don't really produce, and we had really missed out on by by him uh, declaring for the for the three lines. As well as uh, Birmingham, there's uh, Joe Redmond and Ryan Burke. They've been on the bench. Uh, they're both 19 uh, years of age. They've only been both named on the bench once for Birmingham. I don't think we're going to see either of them play before the end of the season, but it could be someone. It could be players that the management as, uh, in Birmingham decides to look at for next season. And as well as that, they've got Corey O'Keefe to return from his loan at Macclesfield. Yeah, indeed, Joe. And also Scotty Hogan. Um, who's on loan from Aston Villa. And he's made a big difference in Birmingham City with his goals um, scored in you know in recent months before the pandemic hit. I mean, Birmingham were flirting with relegation very much so at the start of the year. Scott Hogan's come in and he's chipped in with a few goals. So um, again, I think a guy from public farm standpoint, Stephen Kenny, probably not looking towards, but I think it'd be kudos to kind of give him a bit of a mention as well. It was he was struggling to get into that uh, Aston Villa side. And I think the people were disappointed with that. They thought he, he had he had played for that same manager before Brentford, and maybe this was the manager who would get the best out of him at Villa. It hasn't really worked out. But the the loan move to Birmingham went went really well for him. He scored early, which I think takes a lot of the pressure off, and he seems to have scored regularly for them while he's been there. So we do hope that he either the the loan move is made permanent, or that he can take that form with him back to Aston Villa. Next in the, the list of championship teams is Blackburn Rovers. I think first up is Greg Cunningham, who's possibly the most unluckiest player ever to, to don the green jersey. He made his uh, debut uh, for Trapattoni when he was still in the U team at Manchester City, but unfortunately broke his leg. He struggled, struggled to get back into the Manchester City team and uh, spent a lot of his career in the championship. He has carved out uh, a respectable career, but just as it seemed that after another move to Blackburn and things were starting to, to settle down for him again, he suffers another unfortunate injury and we're probably not going to see him again until next season. Yeah, it's just so unfortunate, isn't it? It's the tale of the professional footballer, really. His resiliency and his determination to come back from those injuries, Joe, is incredible. And, you know, he's such a model professional. Even when he was at Man City, you know, I heard reports that, you know, everyone in the club really admired him and respect him enormously. You know, great club pro. Hopefully he comes back and uh, contributes next season. As well as that, at Blackburn, he's two fellow defenders, Derek Williams and Daryl Lennon, both uh, stalwarts in the defence at Blackburn. Daryl Lennon, we can expect to see him turn out for the Lancashire side for uh, for a long time. Derek Williams, we saw him make his debut uh, in the, the latter stages of Martin O'Neill's tenure. And unfortunately, what's going to afflict both players is that we seem to have, uh, at the moment, an, a phenomenal amount of high-quality central defenders. And I think with the likes of Clark, Duffy and Egan playing Premier League football, they're both going to struggle to get that, that centre-half jersey. But any one of them could be uh, a viable substitute. Completely, Joe. I completely agree with you on uh, we've, we're stacked with talent. Uh, the only thing with Lenehan and uh, Williams, their form really did kind of pick up significantly. I know they've had solid seasons, but after Christmas, Blackburn have gone on an amazing run. And I think the pandemic probably came at a wrong time for Blackburn. The momentum was certainly on their side to kind of challenge for the playoff spots. 
it'll be interesting to see as Blackburn as football club with Tony, Tony Mowbray in charge, how they'll do. But even Lennon, could he be versatile enough to maybe slot in as a defensive midfielder to provide that option for us? Um, you know, he's a good footballer as well. So again, one of these guys that Stephen Kenny may uh, run the rule over quite significantly. Derek Williams, solid player. I mean, you know, and he's form really did pick up uh, at the start of this year. So again, these are two guys that are going to be key to Tony Mowbray's plans uh, this year and going into this season uh, next. And again, um, they're kind of a dark horse for me in terms of the playoffs. You know, they have a nice little fixture list. Again, I think four or five of the bottom seven they have on the fixture running. So if they can tally on a few wins here, Blackburn will be well in the mix in the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, and fifty three points, they're only three points behind sixth place Preston in that last playoff spot. That that spot really is up for grabs. If you've got Preston on fifty six, Bristol on fifty five, Bill One and Cardiff both on fifty four, then Blackburn on fifty three, along with Swansea City, Derby on fifty one, and QPR on fifty, and that that's that's two wins takes uh, QPR potentially from thirteenth to six. It's typical end of season rush in the championship where as we said literally anything can happen indeed Joe because I mean the ramifications there's an awful lot going to happen in terms of the bottom of the table teams fighting for their lives you're going to have the pressure of particularly top six looking for results that may impact on performances particularly with four or five games to go so you can't really call the championship it's such a roller coaster of emotions for any team that are involved in it so no it's exciting times yeah um, we mentioned Bristol City there. Uh, Callum Adowda has had a, a really good season, turning out 26 times and uh, uh, only finding the back of the net once, but seems to be playing very well and even attracting glances from other teams, linked with a couple of teams over the January transfer window. Still playing with Bristol, but seems to have uh, adapted very well to the division since his move from League Two. Absolutely. And I think reports, particularly on the preseason games in recent in recent days, has been that Ododa has been a prominent performer for Bristol City, particularly in the preseason games. You know, and I think he scored one there a few couple of days ago. No, he's a tidy player, uh, Joe. You know, good pace, good distribution as well. In the final third, and a guy, another guy, I think that maybe Stephen Kenny will run the rule over later in the year. Yeah, I don't think Stephen Kenny is going to rule out any player in the championship, especially one playing you know, in the higher reaches of the division and potentially playing Premier League football next season. Josh Cullen seems to have spent the last three years out on loan from West Ham. He's back at Charlton again. They've had a, a lot of problems this season off the pitch. And I think that's been reflected by the performances on the pitch. They're third from bottom at the moment. They're only two points behind Paul Wigan and Middlesbrough, who are all on 41 points. Do you think that the off-the-field trouble at Charlton is having an effect on the team? And that's why we're seeing a really good club, really what had been a really well-run club, down the bottom of the championship. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a very complex situation with Charlton, particularly with the former old owners, the Belgian owners. There was very much a love-hate relationship between the fans and the ownership here. And... Charlton going up from League One last year, they've one of the smaller budgets in the championship. So, And I think for the first half of the season, they performed pretty well. Their top scorer, Lyle Taylor, was in great form. Josh Cullen significantly got injured just before Christmas, I think around October, November. And since his absence, they really have struggled. Very nice football. Charlton always played the right way in terms of passing it to feet. But the lack of depth, squad depth, has really been exposed in the last few months. And I know Lee Boyer has gone out on record and really kind of cited about the financial issues. But from a pandemic perspective, I think the break 
may have suited Charlton to a certain extent. Now, granted, Lyle Taylor has decided because he's out of contract next month, he's not going to basically don uh, the Addicts jersey again, which spells bad news for Charlton, particularly their struggles in front of goal. But I think the squad should be re-energised. I think an awful lot of players within Charlton Athletic may be looking for other options and they're not too far. I think Hull are sinking without trace. Um, again, Charlton, if they can string maybe three or four results together, could potentially get out of it. And Josh Cullen being fully fit now will be a massive bonus for Charlton and Lee Boyer. Yeah, and we all watched uh, Sterling Till I Die during the current pandemic. We've all been at home. We all saw what happened when they lost their lead striker, uh, Maja, and it, it does kind of look like that That same problem uh, has surfaced at Charlton Athletic. They do have one of the better goal differences in the, the bottom those teams that seem to be fighting it out for uh, for the relegation, you know, they're, they're on minus ten. The teams immediately below them, Luton and Barnsley, minus twenty eight and minus twenty, and Hull, Wigan, and Huddersfield above them. Oh, worst goal difference, and only Middlesbrough equal it with minus ten. I can't call relegation at the moment. I think Barnsley on thirty four points probably going to get relegated. I think Luton on thirty five probably going to get relegated. If we look at Charlton and their 39 points, Stoke are on 42, Huddersfield are on 42, and as I said, Middlesbrough, Wigan and Hull are on 41. It's any one of those five teams could be going down in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, likewise, Joe. I think it's very hard to call. I think if you're a Barnsley or Luton Town, I think you really have nothing to lose here. And I know the German co- head coach for Barnsley has basically described it as a new season and a fresh slate, a clean mentality. Um, so I think Barnsley and Luton could wreck the party of a few of those teams above them. They may not stay up, but they may impact one or two of these teams uh, below them. I mean, the likes of Hull City, definitely, they were sinking my old trace before um, the the season was called um, to a halt there in March. Wigan are always going to be kind of a solid outfit. They always seem to survive in the last day. Stoke City for me as well, you know, with Michael O'Neill in charge, that could be an interesting one, Joe just to see how they will evolve. He's had a few months now to really get to know the players. Let's see how the squad morale was, because prior Michael and E coming in, um, that, that that club was toxic. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get into a good run of form to set up a springboard for the coming season. I think maybe Luton, Barnsley, and I think Hull City for me, if if we're really... But again, it's a brand new season here, Joe. I mean, nine games, it's, a, it's pretty much a sprint. And I think squad depth is really kind of going to come into its own here. And, you know, it could be bad news, as we've talked about with Charlton Athletic as well. Well, we'll, we'll come back to, to Stoke later on. We can talk about how Michael O'Neill has, has turned things around. Derby County seemed to make perennial playoff appearances in the last few seasons. And captain Richard Kyo, central to many of their appearances and unfortunately gave the ball away to QPR, resulting in their loss in the playoff final a few seasons ago. And this season... He acted irresponsibly as captain and he suffered a horrific injury that would probably end his career. Uh, We don't know if he's going to come back yet. It's hard to see how a championship club is going to take him back on. He might play in the lower leagues. Um, I like Richard Kyo as a player. He gives 100%. He's not the most graceful footballer I've ever seen. He's not the best ball playing centre half I've ever seen but he will play at the absolute limits of his ability and he will play there for 90 minutes every game up until this season ironically enough he never seemed to get injured he seemed to play 40 plus games every season do you think we've seen the last of him? 
Yeah, I mean, it's really cast a big shadow over Derry County season and the way that football club have really managed that incident has been, it's really smacked of inconsistency really when you consider the likes of Bennett and Lawrence were given a slap on the wrist. Kyo was basically given his marching orders. I know I think there's probably a footballing tribunal going on in terms of Richard Kyo's case, but yeah, it's very hard to see him come back from uh, from this. I mean, particularly from a championship club who would take him on given, you know, even the medical history here now in terms of that devastating leg injury that he incurred in that car accident. It's a, it's a tough one, Joe. I, I hope to see the guy back because, you know, he's really give his heart and soul to the Republic of Ireland jersey, definitely Derby County. He was one of the fan favourites, captain, inspirational figure. Um, but if he does come back in maybe League One, League Two, but again, it's, you know, it, it really is a long way back for Richard Kill right now. And I think this tribunal verdict, um, which is pending with Derby County, um, that'll be a very interesting ruling. But uh, it's, yeah, it's just uh, so disappointing for the player because with Philip Koku in charge, the season had been set up quite well for Derby and prior to that night going out incident, Derby were kind of flying high enough. They were in the top eight. Uh, Philip Cock, whose footballing philosophy was starting to reap rewards and then this incident, incident happened and it's just really cast a complete mire over it. Now, granted, Rain Rooney has joined a football club, uh, but still, you know, from my perspective, that incident back in the early part of the season really has been a defining point for Derby. Yeah, I think it's been really unfortunate as well for Jason Knight, you know, the the 19-year-old Irish midfielder, you know, getting his chance in the first team at Derby. And you would have thought that with an Irish senior international in the same team, could have guided him. He should have made sure that he settled in okay. But it hasn't seemed to have affected him too much. He's made 24 appearances for, for Derby this season. He scored four goals and he's playing really well in midfield for a 19-year-old. In the championship, you don't seem to get that much time on the ball. But from what I have seen of him, he's one of these players who just seems to make time for himself. And that's not just for for Derby either. That's for the Irish underage teams. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, this player develop in the next couple of years. No, he's a very exciting prospect. And credit to Philip Koku as well. Could very easily have gone on the loan market, looked for someone, but he's looked within... Jason Knight has been a player, definitely from a Derby County perspective, that's been on the radar, particularly to make the, the step up to the senior team. He really looks good, Joe. I mean, particularly, I think he was on Sky at, earlier on in the season. He scored maybe one or two goals during that game. And, you know, he's a fantastic shot on him, long range. But a, a classic box-to-box player, you know, likes to think play up very well. You know, 19, God, you know, the sky's limiting. Now, the likes of Rain Rooney being at the football club to train with a guy like that, see his midfield tendencies and habits and just literally the best the best practices of Rooney. That has to rub off on Jason Knight as well. You know, I think he's a guy that potentially could see some Premier League football either next season or the season after because I, I rate this guy so highly anyway. Yeah, after spending time working with Rooney, Wayne Rooney and learning how one of the best strikers in English football in the last 10, 15 years likes to have the ball played, you know, learning from his movement, it's got to be a massive benefit for the player. Sean McLaughlin at Hull, well, we've talked about their, their troubles this season. He's only, he only made five appearances for them this season. He hasn't really been able to make the move but from League of Ireland football to championship football. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, this, because I thought McLaughlin had all the attributes to really make it at Hull City. I thought it was set up very well for him, just in terms of the way the club actually is right now. 
it's kind of struggling towards the lower end of the division, as it has been for the last two, three years since they've been down from the Premier League. It's it's a strange one. I, I think from a managerial perspective, maybe doesn't fancy the player. Maybe there is a bit of a transition in terms of the fitness conditioning that's required, particularly in championship. is a very physical and abrasive league. So maybe there is maybe concerns from a club perspective on McLaughlin. Now, he's a fantastic footballer. I know he's gone on loan at St. Marin up to the SPL. He's back with the club now, nine games to go. And as as I've said before, Hull City's form cutting since the start of the year has been nothing but disastrous. They've rolled over too easily, particularly on the road. They've given an awful lot of City points away, and particularly at home where they've dominated teams but not put the ball in the back of the net. They've had classic relegation form. And I'd question Hull management here, literally to reinvigorate this. Maybe McLaughlin maybe gets a cameo. You know, he's had three months now to really kind of get to grips, you know, with whatever issues has been at the football club. So we'll wait and see. But I think he has all the attributes to make it at Hull City. But obviously people in Hull City may think different. Yeah, the the move to St. Marion seems to have gone well for him. He's played 20 times north of the border. St. Marion finished ninth in the, the Scottish Premier League. He's obviously had a full season of football. He was possibly he might appear for a fall uh, in their running, although the manager could just choose to stick with the defenders that he has. They've conceded 63 goals across the season. That's the worst in the division, uh, apart from Luton, who've conceded 71. So it's 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 hard to, to decide. On 41 points, only two points clear of the relegation zone, anything can happen. Yeah, indeed, Joe. And to be honest, there's been a few key partners there as well. Jared Bone was one of their prominent guys, particularly at the early start of the season. He's been sold to West Ham United now, and suddenly um, goals have started drying up, and particularly creativity-wise in the final third. Um, so it's no, never good when your club is selling your best players mid-season. Uh, maybe they thought they were home and home and hold. Um, but I think Grant McCann, as whole manager, has a big job in his hands here because that was a pretty demoralised squad, you know, before uh, the pandemic hit. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Hull do. I, I think they're very much precariously positioned right now. Um, you know, so we'll have to see what Hull, if miracles do happen. In the, the relegation zone with them is Luton. You know, James Collins seems to be scoring all of their goals. He's got a he's got 11 goals this season. He's 29 years old and, and forces his way into the Ireland senior setup and scored on his debut. But I think at, at 29, at playing championship football at the, the bottom end of the table and probably playing uh, League One football next season, I don't think he's going to add too many caps to his current total. There's nothing really he has to be ashamed of. Though. You know, He left Aston Villa to play regularly in the lower leagues. Luton signed him. Uh, he kind of went from strength to strength and was a massive part of their promotion push and has done as much as anyone has at the club to try and keep them in the championship. It's And it is a shame to see him go back to League One football. Indeed, it would be disappointing for James Collins, particularly in his career. But again, I wouldn't be blaming James Collins or anyone from the attacking turret. I think it's been their inability to keep clean sheets. I mean, Joe, they've, they've conceded 71 goals this season already after 37 games. They have a minus 28 goal difference. The minus 28, I mean, that's equivalent of giving another point or two away to all their sides around them. I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenally poor record. I think from James Collins' perspective, all he can do really is, you know, impress him these last nine games. He's scored 11 goals so far this season. Hopefully he may be able to add a few more to them, 
get himself in the shop window for a move away from Luton. I mean, Luton, they've, they've been admirably progressing through the league um, in recent seasons, but again, one of the smaller budgets in the championship. This is the thing with the championship. There is really the haves and have-nots and the likes of the Chartons, the Lutons here. They're small budgets compared to the likes of the Leeds, uh, you know, Hull Cities, even, you know, West Bromwich Albion's. They have huge budgets compared to those teams. And again, it's kind of showing it off. But hopefully for James Collins, end the season on the right note, get a few goals, get a few prominent performances in. And hopefully there might be interest from a championship club to take him on next season. A player who scored 11 goals in a bad team will score more goals in a, in a better team. So there's a possibility that we could see him playing championship football uh, next season again. Following Darren Randall's uh, move from Middlesbrough to West Ham uh, in January, it means that there's currently no senior Irish international players uh, in the Middlesbrough squad. But there is the son of a former international. Uh, Graham Cavanagh's son, Callum, is currently attracting all kinds of interest for his goal-scoring record in the Middlesbrough youth team. I don't think we're going to see him play for Middlesbrough this season. I doubt we'll even see him play for Middlesbrough next season. But he's uh, an Irish striker learning his trade under the watchful eye of, of Robbie Keane. He's already been linked with, with Chelsea, with Arsenal, with Manchester City. Do you think that Callum Cavanagh is another one of these fantastic striking prospects that we seem to be producing all at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's great news. And in fairness to Middlesbrough, I, I did admire him back in the Premier League. And again, their ability to create and to develop new talent is there. The likes of James Gibson, uh, I can remember back in the day, he came through the youth scheme. So like Callum Cavanagh, his emergence has been prolific this season particularly now the links to Chelsea they're all very flattering but I think he's continued development needs to happen at the Riverside you know he's got good coaching you know under Robbie Keane Jonathan Woodgate there as well I think it's a key season for Middlesbrough they have to stay up this season with Woodgate in charge you know they just don't but again Steve Gibson being the chairman he won't really pull the trigger that easy on Woodgate being one of the club legends. Going back to Callum Kavanagh, he has all the potential, but it's really down to the player. These are the defining years for him. Kind of keep working hard with Robbie Keane and the football club to impart knowledge to him. It's a win-win. you know. So it'll be interesting to see next season. He may be pushing for Abzalonga, is it? He may look for a Premier League move if that happens. Does Callum Kavanagh come into the picture there, Middlesbrough? I would think probably just given Middlesbrough's policy here of promoting new talent within. So exciting times for Callum. Their defence is one of the best in the bottom half of the division. They've conceded 47 goals across the season, which is only bettered by Reading's 42 from 12th down. But it's up front, it's in front of goal where they really struggle. They've scored 37 times, which is the, the worst in the division. Only one worse than, than Wigan's 38, who are below them on goal difference. If they need something different, if they need something that nobody can, can predict, maybe we could see Calvin Kavanagh make his debut before the end of the season. Yeah, I think, Joe, it's going to be very much, let's see how Middlesbrough get on in their first two or three games after this resumption. Hopefully they can build up enough of a gap that Woodgate can feel a bit more relaxed to maybe start blooding in a few kind of up-and-coming talented players towards the latter end of the season but again Middlesbrough they're very precariously positioned for now I think Callum just needs to bide his time work hard in the training ground continue his development in the Uton under 23s and see where it goes At the other end of the table uh, Millwall and eight have Alex Pierce, Sean Williams Aidan O'Brien and the under 21 player Jay Malumbi uh, all playing regularly for them they're just outside the playoff spots at the moment they're 54 points two behind Preston on 56 I've liked Millwall for a long time and as well as that, 
I've kept an eye on on Aidan O'Brien as he's progressed through the the U team and into the first team. He's a he's a lovely little striker and he's a, a kind of a different kind of player. Works really hard up front. He doesn't score a lot of goals. He's only got four this season, but he he's one of these players who will never stop running. And I think the the manager wouldn't play the player. 21 times across the season if we didn't think he could get something from him. In midfield, Sean Williams at 33. When he did make his breakthrough into the senior Ireland team, I thought he was given that midfield something that he didn't have before. There was a range of passing there that I think other players in that central midfield deep-lying role didn't have. And he scored a, a really nice goal away to Wales, unfortunately, in a game that we, that we lost. And at 33, he's probably going to be uh, superseded by the man playing beside him in midfield, Jason Malumbi, who's been one of the, the the brightest prospects for the underage setup in Ireland for quite some time. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him playing Premier League football next season and for the, the Irish senior team after that. Completely, Joe. It's been a, a real positive season for Millwall. You consider back last season, they just barely survived championship. I know they had an awful lot of injuries lack of form but this season's really been good and I know they've had to change manager as well Harris has gone to Cardiff club legend but they've brought in a very astute appointment in Gary Rowett and the, the side and the cohesion of the side has really kept going and again really led by the Irish guys uh, in particular that Jim Lumpy has been nothing short than sensational uh, he's really caught the eye on numerous occasions I think Brighton and Hove Albion you know it's been a beneficial experience for both parties because Malumpy has literally kind of controlled games but he's just literally his skill set he's box to box he's conditioning he's just all been superb aided by Sean Williams as well I think Millwall particularly central midfield have looked so much better this year Williams really does complement Jay Malumpy an awful lot in terms of Williams allows Malumpy to go and attack and express himself Williams will do the basic keep cover on the back four he is very, he's a very competent, very kind of astute player, Sean Williams. And I think, as you said, Joe, his age profile probably is ruling against him in terms of Stephen Kenny's plans. But again, real solid club professional. Aidan O'Brien as well. has For me, he's a very much an Andy Keogh player. He really wor- works tirelessly for the team. Now, he's been struggling particularly on the striking front, particularly like Matt Smith has had good runs of form. Particularly, I think Tom Bradshaw is still at the football club and Steve Morrison last season chipped in with a few goals. But Aidan O'Brien, particularly on the FA Cup runs last season, was really prominent. And he's taken his cameos fairly well coming off the bench. And then Alex Pierce as well has provided an awful lot of leadership. So Millwall, just outside that top six, they've a 50-50 run in in terms of playing teams around them, but also teams in the bottom of the league. Yeah, it's going to be a tight one. But for Millwall to be challenging there, I think it's... It's a great achievement for the club, given their budget. Malumbi was made his first team debut for Brighton two years ago. We all hoped that he would push on, but unfortunately, a series of uh, pretty nasty knee injuries resulted in his knee basically being rebuilt. And he was named on the bench in Brighton's final game of the season, last season against Manchester City. I thought he might make his debut, would have been a, a reward for his uh, his comeback from injury, but it wasn't meant to be. I wasn't sure how his move to Millwall uh, would work out. I thought that this was Brighton telling him, OK, if you can go and play championship football, if you can go get yourself into the Brighton first team, if you can prove your fitness, if you can prove that your knee is back to where it was, then we're going to welcome you back and you're going to play Premier League football. And it's fair to see he's, he's met every single one of their demands. Uh, he was unlucky not to score his first goal just before the league was suspended. 
and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the last few games of the season. Just ahead of Millwall, uh, Nottingham Forest in fifth place. They haven't had a, an Irish player here for them in, in the championship, but Yasin N. Naya, and my apologies if I've, if I've mispronounced the name, did make an appearance for them in their, their FA Cup tie back in January, and it's been training with the first team that, since they've returned to training uh, ahead of the, the final games of the season. We mentioned Satona and Odubiku last week, and again, he's another one of these lightning-fast players that a lot of underage players all seem to have been talking about. I think there was some issues with his passport and eligibility, but hopefully that's all been resolved and we get to see what he can do for Forest and what he can do for Ireland after that. Yeah, completely. I think it's all down to the player here. I mean, these exciting times again for Nottingham Forest, you know, they're right in the thick of the playoff push. Real big club. Um, hopefully they can be one of the teams that goes up uh, this season. But as for the player, his cameo against Chelsea was a good experience for him. But again, he needs to kick on now, impress in training and get into the manager's plans. Because uh, the manager itself, you know, he does like those kind of real pacey, technically gifted players, which this guy is. So hopefully it'll um, pan out for him. Yeah. And again, he could uh, provide that boost that Forrest need to solidify that playoff spot or even push for an automatic promotion. Just below Nottingham Forest in the current playoff setup is Preston. And they're another team with a lot of uh, Irish players. Fullback Joe Rafferty, Sean McGuire up front and Alan Brown in midfield providing you know a, an Irish spine through that team. And as well as that, they've Adam O'Reilly, the 19-year-old midfielder, who, who did spend the season out on loan. But another one of these promising midfield players that's been talked about for a while that we're, we want to see playing first-team football just isn't quite ready yet, but we could see him before the end of the season. I think Sean McGuire would be the first one to admit that it did take him a little while to adjust from League of Ireland to Championship football, but he's pushed on this season. You know, he's become a crowd favourite at Preston. Alan Brown behind him, doing the same, scoring goals from long range. Joe Rafferty playing regularly in a defence that's conceded you know, 45 goals this season. Mark, do you think that's this Preston team, are they ready for the playoffs and are they ready for Premier League football? Well, I think they're they're in a prime position right now. They're on 56 points. They know it's in their destiny to get us. Realistically, it's a, it's a playoff spot for them. And again, they know that there's several teams going to be breathing down their neck. I think they do have the talent, Joe, particularly right down the spine of the team. And as you said, an awful lot of Irish influence. We, I'd seen them... Not too frequently this season, but the one game I did see was Adam Ida's hat-trick against them. And to be honest, Preston, you know, they do play a nice brand of football. They like to kind of pass it and then get it into the box pretty quickly. Final third distribution is pretty good. Yeah, Maguire really... I think with the summer weather, Maguire could really revel in this last nine games of regular season. The grounds are going to be, you know, zippy in terms of the ground, you know, dry, hard ground conditions. That I think the likes of Maguire, particularly Alan Brown, the technical players are really going to really soar here. I have a soft spot for Preston North End, particularly the pre-season um, preparations. They've kind of used Ireland as a base, correct me if I'm wrong, Joe. Yeah. I think they've been in Photo Island uh, a few times. An awful lot of good kind of team morale building exercises there with Hurland and Gaelic football prominent as well, particularly with Shawnee Maguire there in, in the forefront. So I do have a sentimental attachment to Preston North End. They're well positioned. Hopefully it can go all the way. But again, it's, it's that layoff period as well, isn't it? Hopefully they can hit the ground running. If they can, then I can't see why not they cannot challenge 
for the playoffs and then for the Premier League, then that's a whole different ballgame. But I think they have to get to the playoffs first. Yeah, as well as that, like Kevin Cabane's first club and he does constantly mention them uh, whenever he's on telly or on the radio. Here, so that keeps him in the thoughts of, uh, of fans of, of Irish football. Now, Conor Masterson was a player that we all hoped was going to be the first Irish player to appear for Liverpool since Robbie Keane and always seemed to be talked about highly as a central defender but for whatever reason and it's probably the players that were ahead of him he was never able to improve on a position uh, on the bench so when it was announced this summer that he would be moving to QPR we hoped that this would be the kickstart to his career and it hasn't really worked out he's only made eight appearances across the season QPR, they're 13th. They're again, they're one of these teams that there are no danger of relegation. They're more than likely not going to make a push for the playoffs. I'm, I'm disappointed in the move, is what I'm trying to say here. People talked about him like he was going to be the Irish Rio Ferdinand, that he was going to come through the Liverpool Academy playing that kind of football at centre half. And it, it hasn't really worked out. And the move to QPR hasn't really kickstarted his career yet. He's 21 and there's still a lot of time for him, but he's not where a lot of fans of Irish football hoped he would be at this stage of his career. Yeah, Joel, it's been a very slow start to his QPR career, but I suppose he needs to get out of Liverpool as well, given the talent and the squad depth that was at that football club, particularly centre-half positions. Was he really realistically going to kind of the slash likes of Virgil van Dijk and guys like that? Answer would probably no. So he needed a fresh start. And again, QPR, they're in the championship for a few seasons now. They have a good manager, Mark Warburton. And the one thing with Warburton is, and his player management of players is sometimes quite noted. And maybe he's had to run the rule on Masterson a little bit to see. Obviously, there's talent, there's potential there. Otherwise, like the Liverpool wouldn't have gone for him. QPR have taken the game. And I think, in fairness, Joe, you might recall that Leeds United game back at the start of this calendar year. Leeds United came to Loftus Road. QPR won nil, but who was man of the match? Conor Masterson. He put an absolute phenomenal performance in. He really showcased his skill set that day. And he has been kind of featuring more in the first team plans of Warburton. So, again, this pandemic coming may have come at the right time for Masterson to really refocus, see where his career is at and maybe work a little bit harder, maybe get into the plans of Mark Warburton a little bit more. So hopefully we might see a bit more of him. But as you say yourself, Joe, it's been a slow start to his QPR career. And as you say, the club is really mid-table. I think they'll be doing very well if they were challenging for a top six spot come the last day of the season. I think they're kind of relatively secure in, in the division. But hopefully the likes of Madison can get more game time. Yeah, I think it'll be next season we, before we see the, the very best what kind of Madison can do. Uh, at QPR. Just staying with QPR for a minute, you know, they've also had Amida Filippo come back from injury. You know, he was a great looking prospect when they were still in the Premier League. He hasn't really pushed on. He suffered injuries and he's got out on loan and he's made his way back into the QPR first team and, you know, definitely in the manager's thoughts. But I think possibly similar to Masterson, it could be next season before we get to see what he can really do. Yeah, I mean, his cameos have been pretty brief, haven't they? I mean, 15 minutes here, 10 minutes here. So, again, a guy with great ability, obviously. QPR hold him in high regard. So, again, nine games to go. It'll be interesting to see what Warburton's plans here, particularly if QPR fall further off the pace on that top six push. Does he give the likes of that player 
and a few of the squad members in the under fringes a bit of game time. He's nothing to lose, really. Try to evaluate them. And maybe there's a decision from Mark Warburton on the player as well. Is he going to make the cut in QPR? And otherwise, it could be a case of looking for a new club at the end of the season, which may be unfortunate. But it's all down to the player, really, to kind of take his opportunity. Yeah, his five appearances this season have all come off the bench. He hasn't been in the starting 11 once for QPR. So you would hope that he's taken the, the opportunity during the downtime to work in his fitness, to work in his game, to get back to where he was, to get back into that QPR starting 11. I think Ryan Manning has probably been the big success story this season for, for Irish fans of QPR. The 23-year-old left-sided player has played 34 times for QPR and scored twice. He was linked with a call-up to the senior squad under Mick McCarthy. Uh, I think he was named in one of the provisional squads but didn't make the final squad, which is a bit strange considering that we do seem to suffer from a paucity of players on that left side. But he's really pushed on this season. He's really showed what he can do and you know, could possibly be in the run for QPR's player of the season. Yeah, I've heard that from one or two of my QPR friends. They've been very impressed with Ryan Manning. Since he switched back to the fullback's position, he's been so solid for them all year. And again, you have to applaud the resiliency and determination of Ryan Manning as well. He's had numerous injury setbacks in, in recent years since he broke onto the first team at QPR in the Premier League. Everyone thought the sky's the limit, but he's had to show an awful lot of courage and determination to get back. And he's one of the first players on team sheet for Mark Warburton. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. He This could be a, a guy here, Ryan Manning, that may express, could be interest expressed on him by a few maybe Premier League sides that are getting going to be newly promoted here. So hopefully Ryan Manning will see some Premier League football in none too distant future. Like we said about Middlesbrough, there's no uh, senior Irish internationals at Reading. But only since Josh Barrett left in January to sign for Bristol Rovers. And Barrett was one of these players who like seemed to explode on the scene uh, back in the 2015-16 season, you know, making his first team debut for Reading at only 17. Hasn't really been able to push on from that. He made three appearances that season um, and has only gone to make further end in the, the five years that passed and two loan spells, Coventry with all their shot. And I'd hope that his, his move to Bristol Rovers means that uh, he gets to play regularly football. He gets to show what he's capable of. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is always a story with these guys, isn't it? They burst on the scene and then, for whatever reason, run a form, manager not liking them. They kind of fall off the radar. So hopefully this is not the case here, that the, the player can kind of relaunch his career and kind of get more uh, stand-up performances going forward. Jeffrey Wednesday have had a bit of a strange season. They had a new manager come in, and one of the first things that he seemed to do was to remove their number one keeper, Kieran Westwood, who's been in Sheffield Wednesday for, for a good few years now and was popular with the players, popular with the fans. You know, Westwood himself put out a statement saying that they sat down and discussed this and the managers just informed that it wasn't anything, anything personal. He just didn't see uh, Westwood uh, as part of his future. And apparently he was all quite amicable. At 35, Westwood is probably at the the end of his career as a goalkeeper, we could possibly see him make a move and play for another maybe two or three years. But he's been one of the better keepers in the championship consistently for the last few years, even make it into the, the championship team of the season more than once. So it's a shame that uh, that his, his Wednesday career has ended like this, but you would hope that he would be able to, to get a move out of it. Oh, completely, Joe. There's plenty 
plenty of opportunity for Kieran Westwood. Now, it's, it's a strange dynamic between himself and Gary Monk. Not for the first time, Gary Monk has kind of fallen out of favour with someone in the footballing uh, fraternity. So he won't be the first, certainly won't be the last. But in terms of Westwood, and it did coincide with that kind of changing of the guard. I mean, at Christmas, Sheffield Wednesday were flying really high. They were kind of in the playoff spots really looking to push on. And then since Christmas, they've dropped an awful lot of stupid points, particularly at home in Hillsborough. Not to kind of blame the new keeper that's come into the to the team, but again, I think there's been a bit of defensive kind of shakiness about Sheffield Wednesday key points in the second half of the season. And maybe Kieran Westwood was there with his experience, his leadership. Would that have really been that much of an issue? I think not. I mean, Sheffield Wednesday are currently in 15th place, 48 points. Realistically, they're not really going to get much of a playoff push going here. Maybe kind of a good end to the season, finishing top half mid-table. But again, yeah, with Westwood, definitely, there's plenty of suitors out there. I'd say even League One would be a step down for Westwood. He still has an awful lot to offer in the championship, as you've said. you know, And I think an awful lot of teams will look at him in the off-season. Just, I know we mentioned uh, other underage players that are training with uh, with first teams, and Connor Grant has been training with Wednesday first team, so we could see him make his first team debut. So we mentioned Stoke earlier on, and Michael O'Neill took over. They were in the relegation zone. They weren't playing good football. The players seemed to be disinterested. He's really turned them around. You know, he's really got the most out of them. I think James McLean, especially seems to have benefited from the Northern Ireland manager taking over. Now, I don't know how his positive test for coronavirus is going to affect him. Well, he, he's obviously not going to be able to take uh, his position in the bench for the, the first few games after the season uh, resumes. But I don't think really that you can underestimate what he's done for, for Stoke since he took over there a few months ago. Completely, Joe. I mean, it was an absolute horror show, wasn't it? Start of the season, many would have tipped Stoke City to be one of the prominent front runners in the championship, but quite quickly, things started to unravel for Nathan Jones. And Nathan Jones had come to the football club with a glowing reputation, playing a nice brand of football with Luton Town. And I think there has been a kind of an onus on the Stoke City ownership to change their footballing philosophy from Tony Pulis's ends justifies the means approach with getting three points at all costs to a more kind of free-flowing style, which they've kind of experimented with the likes of the Mark Hughes, the Paul Lamberts, Nathan Jones coming in. But there's been a kind of a downward slide in the football club. And in fairness to Nathan Jones, and he called himself out maybe about 10 weeks prior to his sack, sacking that he thought he would lose his job ultimately. Um, so if a player is hearing that in the changing room, it's like, why bother? Michael O'Neill's come in. He's really steady to ship down. You know, he's a good, solid pro, Michael O'Neill, and they've gone back to brass tacks again. And the likes of Jack Butland, who had a horrendous start of the season, he's actually recovered his form. And that form has really gone through the whole rest of the team. They've had a good run of form since Michael O'Neill has taken over. But as you say, it's after the pandemic, um, the, the positive test for Michael O'Neill, his influence around the matchday squad, uh, is that going to be a big effect on the team? They've just gotten out of the relegation zone. They're 42 points at the moment, I believe, Joe, isn't it? Yep. Three points clear of Charlton Athletic. Really, they need to be pushing on now. You know, another three, four wins, hopefully, might be taking them over that 50-point barrier. And if they can get over that, then they focus on the next season. But O'Neill has done a very good job of just basically stabilising the ship. And then next season, then hopefully he has money to spend. Uh, I think there may be a bit of a squad call as well in the meantime. But again, 
he's a, he's a, a true pro in terms of his experience. He was able to kind of say the right things in the squad. Squad have been galvanised. So, and I think McLean, as you've said yourself, has been a revelation. But I think Nathan Collins as well. You know, Nathan Collins came in as part of the Nathan Jones era. And while others around him, like Jack Butler, were having horrendous performances, Nathan Collins out of a lot of them for a 19-year-old showed so much maturity and composure in his performances. And he's been probably one of the revelations of Stoke City this season. People, you know, raised an eyebrow when he was linked with Manchester United before the, the season started and kind of thought that it would be rare for a club that size to sign a 19-year-old centre-half from no disrespect intended from a club like Stoke, but uh, he's shown that he's one of the, the big prospects in defence for for championship football. And if he continues, I don't see any reason why he can't play Premier League football. No, like his age, even the experience he's getting in a, a you know, real doggy dog league like the EFL Championship, this all will aid in his development for sure. And the the animosity, you know, the literally the struggles that Stoke had at the start of the season, that can only grow the players' development as well. You know, he has all the attributes, Joe. You've probably seen him as well in underage. You know, he's very good, very good feet, very good technically. He's managing of the game, particularly from a centre-half position, superb. He has all the attributes, and no wonder Manchester United would be linking themselves with a player of that stature. Yeah, Collins will be making an appearance in the Premier League. Maybe not next season, but maybe the season after, hopefully, if he gets a continued run of form going with Stoke City. And no reason why not. Yeah, uh, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't either. So we mentioned we mentioned Conor Masterson earlier, and his under-21 uh, defensive partner, Daryl Shea, has been one of the real revelations of the season for West Brom. He spent last season out on loan in uh, League Two, and I think this season has seen him reap the benefits of that experience. Pushed on into the, the West Brom first team, he seems to have the managers backing, and they're looking like they're going to go up automatically. And we're, uh, we could see him play Premier League football next season. Yeah, it's, it's a great story, Joe, isn't it? Just in terms of how the player went down to League Two, and <laughs> we kind of say about the physicality of of the EFL Championship at League 2 is, you know, it is real kind of, you know, you have to kind of win your battles first before you can start playing football in League 2. And he, he found the school of hard knocks pretty much in his League 2 loan spell. Came back to West Bromwich Albion and Salvin Bilic being the quality central defender that he is, obviously took a shine to Darrow Shea immediately. He's been in a prominent first team starter for them. And, you know, all his attributes, you know, he's so strong in the air, isn't he, Joe? I mean, for such a young guy, he just exudes kind of confidence and leadership around him. Guy that, to, for me, I think if Stephen Kenny's looking to go fresh here, I think Dara Shea, John Egan, Seamus Coleman, maybe a battery of that. Not foreseeable, but, you know, in a qualification pa- campaign, you could definitely see. I think Dara Shea is, you know, he's ready-made to go into the Premier League. He's got great pace. He, he, he ticks all the boxes for me, uh, Joe. And, I mean, it's a superb season. West Brom currently on 70 points at the moment. One point off Leeds United. Again, conceivably, you know, Fulham realistically are the only team that, to me, look as if they could literally concert a, a, a top two challenge here. It's all pointing towards a Premier League return for West Brom and Jalbion. And Darrell O'Shea should be pretty much central to those plans. What I did see Masterson and O'Shea play together for the under-21s, you could kind of tell that Masterson had better control of the ball. He was better, maybe better in possession, but Daryl Shea, you could see the difference first-team football had meant to him. He was a much better defender 
he seemed to know where to stand. Masterson, I think, was trying to play he was trying to play too much football, if you know what I mean. He was trying to, yeah. to show what he could do. And sometimes as a centre half, there's a time for that and he hasn't got the experience to know when to do that. Whereas Darrow Shea was very much put on the ball, who's available in midfield, release the ball, keep possession. Seemed to win everything in the air. He's big and he's strong. I think he might play at right full for a little bit until he gets the experience he needs to play at centre half. Kind of similar to how Seamus Coleman played right wing and kind of right wing back for Blackpool before he ended up playing at full at full back for, for Everton. We should mention Callum Robinson as well at West Brom. He wasn't getting a lot of first team football at Sheffield United, although he, he had scored uh, in the Premier League this season early on uh, against Chelsea back in August, but hasn't wasn't really playing regularly for the Blades. Uh, and I think the move, the loan move to West Brom, came at a really good time for him. He went straight into the first team. He's already scored as many times for them this, this season as he has for Sheffield United. Two goals, back-to-back games against Nottingham Forest and, and Bristol City. I don't know if the move is going to be made permanent, but I think it, w- it was good move for the player and, it, and a good move for both clubs. And it's worked out really well. It's what you want to see from the loan system. Oh, completely, Joe. You know, really a bit like Jason Malumpy with Brighton to Millwall. This has reaped the same benefits, particularly for Robinson. And you have to applaud Robinson as well. He could have, uh, Robinson, he could have sat on the first team squad with Sheffield United, but I think himself, Chris Wilder, uh, were amicable enough to say that Robinson needed first team football elsewhere. He's gone to West Brom Albion, who are in a superb position in a promotion race. And he has shipped in with goals. But I think these last nine games will really decide whether West Brom really do pursue Robinson on a permanent deal if he can chip in with a few assists a few goals down the end of season run in I think you should be able to see a permanent deal kind of finalised and engineered for Callum because he is I I, I rate the player he's very tidy on the ball you know very elusive very pacey can provide a bit of width dimension to you know the final third Um, so hopefully he can be a massive contributor for West Bromwich Albion going up and hopefully see him in the Premier League again uh, next season. The last championship club that we're going to uh, review is is Wigan. We've mentioned that they're currently in the relegation battle and that's pulled in about six teams at the bottom of the division and they've won Irish International on their books at the moment and that's Anthony Pilkington. Now, Pilkington wasn't really in the, in the public consciousness, I think, of a lot of fans until he made the, the breakthrough at Norwich City. He had played underage for Ireland, but was a little slow in declaring that he would represent the boys in green at senior international football. But he did, when he did, he went on and he played very well and he scored you know, a, a lovely goal against the US. But I think, I think injuries kind of hit him at the wrong time and he's... His move to Wigan was kind of to reinvigorate his career. He's 32 now. He's only made 13 appearances and scored twice. But I think he's better than bottom of the championship. I think so. Standing pro is Anthony Pilkington. I mean, he's been with Norwich. He's been with Cardiff City as well. You know, a solid pro. I mean, he good distribution as well, you know, from out wide as well. Provides a good link to his front men at all times. Yeah, I think the injuries really did kind of set him back a bit. But he never let the Republic of Ireland down and none of his sides as well. So, yeah, Wigan Athletic, it's a funny one, really, because Dave Whelan kind of, you know, has a part of the scene there. I think he's 
nephew or something like that has taken over. There was all expectations that Wigan would get additional investment, but it's been contrary. It has been a struggle. Paul Cook continues to, you know, produce miracles with that squad, with the budget that they're on. So I think their objective is to get to 50 points, stay in the division. But again, I think with Anthony Pilkin, it'll be a key um, end of season for him, just to see where he goes from here. Um, I still think he would be kind of a championship type player. Maybe go to a Sheffield Wednesday or go to someone of that, um, you know, caliber of team to really kind of push on for a playoff spot next season. But as I said, yeah, Wigan is it's a strange one because you know Wigan are far capable. They're very capable of getting results against Leeds and teams like that, but they seem to be very inconsistent. I think squad depth is a big issue with them. But I think Pilkington is far better than what he is right now with Wigan uh, for sure. I think we're both agreed that Barnsley and Luton are going to go down. And I think you're right. I think Hull would possibly join them. They have the worst defence of the teams above them. And you know, Alex Ferguson said it, that you know, strikers win your games, but defences win your championships. And I think Hull's defence is possibly going to cost them place in next season's championship. And looking at the top of the table, I think it's fairly certain that Leeds and West Brom are going to go up automatically. And I think Fulham and Brentford are going, and Donning and Forest are going to be in the, the playoffs. I think Preston will do enough just to hold on to that last playoff spot. And if I had to pick one at the moment, I'd go with Fulham to go up through the playoffs. They had a really good start to the season. They did stutter a little bit, but they've recovered and they're going to, I think they're going to finish third and I think they're going to go up through the playoffs. Yeah, I think the playoffs, I'll just go left field here. I think Brentford, uh, this summer weather aspect to this, I think will bring out the best in Brentford. And given that Brentford are going to move away from Griffin Park to their new spanking new stadium um, in West London, um, I think Brentford, man for man, with their team fully fit, can give Fulham any any game, any day of the week. I would say, yeah, I think Fulham on paper, and I think Fulham will have a right go at this kind of top two as well for nine games to go. Leeds have shown very much vulnerability here come the closing stages of the season's last few years. They've kind of fallen away. They've literally left points behind them. I can think of Good Friday in 2019 where they dropped points at Wigan Athletic at home when many had expected them to win. And if they'd won that, they would have kind of really gotten an automatic spot. But as it turned out, it didn't happen for them. Leeds, for me, are the nervy team here from the top two. Hopefully, they should have learned lessons from the last two seasons. But, you know, Leeds fans are great. But, you know, if they're nil all with about 20 minutes to go in a must-win game, you know, four or five games into the end of the season, who knows? West Bromwich Alvin definitely getting promoted. I'll say Brentford's playoffs. And I would say definitely Hull City. But I'm looking at the Hull City fixture list here, uh, Joe. There is an awful lot of six-pointers. Their first game is at home to Charlton. They have a game away to Hull or to Birmingham, home to Middlesbrough, and they also have games against Bristol City and uh, I believe West Brom as well to finish the season out. So there's an awful lot of teams. If they don't get a result against Charlton straight off the bat, then I think uh, Hull City. It could be Hull City or Charlton for me. I'll go Hull City just based on their form today. Okay. I think that that Hull City-Charlton game could decide that final relegation position. Outside of the championship, uh, League One and League Two team final placings were decided by uh, average 
points per game. It's meant that the playoffs are going to be between uh, Fleetwood, Oxford, Portsmouth and, and Wickham. Uh, Oxford actually have the, the most uh, Irish representation with Anthony Ford, Liam Kelly on loan from, from Feyenoord and Nico Jones all in their, their first team squad. Fleetwood have Paddy Madden and Glenn Whelan. Portsmouth has been represented by Marcus Harness, who recently declared for the Republic of Ireland, and Ronan Curtis, leaving Wickham the only team uh, in the playoffs without an Irish player on their books. So, Mark, the fixtures uh, have been announced, and we're going to see Portsmouth play Oxford and Fleetwood play Wickham. The playoffs are always really hard to predict. Wickham finished third on that points per game differential, but only just barely ahead of the other three with 1.74 points per game. Do you think that that's enough to carry them up to the championship? Or could Fleetwood's late push into the playoff positions serve them even after the, the extended break? Yeah, I think out of all the teams from, let's say, a kind of a League One perspective, the two big winners were Rotherham. Because Rotherham, I think, had a very, very tough end-of-season run. They got automatically promoted in that second spot. And then Coventry, obviously, topped the table. But also Wickham. Wickham, I think, were eight or ninth, weren't they? And then because of the points difference, they then literally shot up um, to the third place. Now, granted, Wickham had been very prominent at the start of the season. I think Gardainsworth, really, from a League One perspective, I think has has to be the manager of the season. Because literally, given the budget of Wickham, the squad depth, and how Wickham have re-flirted with relegation in League One for multiple seasons. It was nothing short of a miracle where they were for a long part of the season. They formed a dip after Christmas. And I think if the season had basically run to a completion, I don't think Wickham would be in the playoffs personally. I think this is a great opportunity for Fleetwood Town with Glenn Whelan, um, Paddy Madden as well. I think Joy Barton really wants to get a real cut of this on on Wickham. I think he realised that Wickham are pretty exposed from a squad depth perspective. Now, the whole thing is this 12-13 week layoff. How does that affect these teams? The empty stadia, all that sort of stuff coming to the reckoning. But I think Fleetwood, for me, out of that tie, should have enough. I think the likes of Glenn Whelan being there, done that. They have plenty of experience in their ranks. I think Fleet would beat Wickham. I think that the, the key game here would be Portsmouth and Oxford. I don't think there's a whole pile between these teams. And I think it would come down really to the home games. And then again, there's no there's no crowds going to be out at Fratton Park. Very intimidating atmosphere at the, at the worst of times, really, for an opponent team against Oxford United. I just maybe shade it to Port, uh, Oxford right now. I think it's just literally based on the fact of Oxford's kind of running you know their momentum really was building quite nicely before the pandemic hit and I think their kind of squad depth as well might be a little bit better than Portsmouth but again that's a key game for me I mean either one of those sides I think would be favourite to actually go up either Portsmouth or Oxford so yeah it's going to be very exciting plenty of Irish representation there Joe for sure isn't it yeah Wickham I think definitely did the best out of the decision to finish the season on a points per game basis, they went from actually outside the playoff positions on goal difference. They were uh, level on points with Peterborough with a much inferior goal difference, but a game in hand. And when the final league standings were announced, they had jumped up to, to third and 
as I say, will now face Fleetwood. Wickham, they've scored the least of the four sides in the playoffs. They've also conceded the most. Uh, I think that's probably what's going to cost them, is their, is their defence. I can see Fleetwood with Paddy Madden, who's a, a, a very experienced striker at this level of football, getting past them. And like you, I find that Oxford-Portsmouth tie very hard to call. I think Portsmouth not been able to play in front of their fans at Fratton Park could possibly decide the tie uh, in Portsmouth. And I think Oxford, the experience of that game will stand to them when uh, when it returns to Casham Stadium in Oxford. I think we're going to see Fleetwood-Oxford in the final and um, maybe we can discuss that when the, the fixtures are confirmed. Yeah, um, and, and John, I'm looking at that Oxford squad that Carl Robinson has assembled, and I think Carl Robinson has done a great job as as coach, you know, since Michael Appleton departed the scene. The club had been in a bit of dire straits, but they have they've brought in an awful lot of shoot signings. Matty Taylor on loan from Bristol City, Ben Woodburn, who two, three seasons ago was seen as this big thing at Liverpool, he's on loan there. Granted, and then you have solid pros like of Anthony Ford, John Mussino as well, who's been there, done that with likes of Burton Albion, Jamie Mackey as well. He's part of the squad, Liam Kelly. I think that squad is really built to get to a playoff final. And then after that, then you're rolling the dice, see how you get on a playoff final. It'd be interesting to see a game like that played at Wendley in front of no fans at all. And we've talked about how no home fans... It's going to affect possibly Portsmouth the most. But playing in front of no fans at all at a stadium the size of Wembley is going to be a very different experience, even for the players who have played there. I wonder, Joe, will they consider relocating that to another stadium? Because playing at Wembley, that'll be awful area, won't it? That'll be like Zombie Nation or something like that, to be honest. You know, just playing, you know, just very eerie. You know, you're just hearing yourself, your colleagues very surreal I think even these playoffs even the Premier League games we're going to kick off this week I think you're going to see certain players underperform because there's no vibe from the crowd and then other players who maybe you think oh these guys could be vulnerable and exposed here they may elevate next level because they don't have the pressure of a crowd on their back so we just don't know the dynamics here in terms of these stadiums not having fans not having home support yeah it's all you just don't know. We, we're in uncharted territory really here, Joe, aren't we? Yeah, no one really knows how the break is going to affect teams. No one really knows how the lack of fans are, are going to affect the players. What we've seen so far in the games in the Bundesliga is that the away teams have had better performances than they had before the league shut down. But it remains to be seen if the, the same effect uh, is seen in the Premier League in Serie A and in the top two tiers in England in the Premier League and in the Championship. Before we finish, I'd like to take a minute to mention Mark O'Brien, the centre-half at Newport County, who unfortunately had to announce his retirement today, aged only 27. Mark's well-known at Newport. He scored a goal that kept him in the in league football. He started out at Derby County, very highly rated after being spotted at Cherry Orchard and made his debut at only 17 uh, in May of 2009. And unfortunately, he was soon diagnosed after that with a heart condition and his career really had to be put on hold 
uh, while he recovered from the, the, the necessary operation from that. And it was announced today that he uh, he actually has to retire uh, after his, his final series of operations. Mark, when Mark O'Brien was named on the bench at So Young at Derby, we really thought that this was a prospect for the future. And it's always tragic to see a player to have to retire so young. Mark's obviously going to go down as a legend at Newport. Oh, no, it's it's awful sad news for Mark. Um, again, I just heard the news, you know, just an hour ago, and I, I kind of noted that he hadn't been too prominent in terms of regular season games with Newport County, particularly after Christmas. I was wondering why that was the case. Um, but again, take nothing away from the guy, you know, breaking into the first team of Derby County so young. He was the under-16 player of the year, I think, the FAI in 2008, if, correct me if I'm wrong. His heart problems, you know, I suppose given the, his heart issues, to even appear 127 uh, appearances with that condition, it's incredible, really. I mean, he'll be best remembered for sure from Newport County and Rodney Parade for that goal against Knotts County to keep Newport County in the English Football League. But again, he's Derby career was really kind of stunted a bit. I think he suffered a cruciate lig- ligament injuries there, you know, immediately after and that kind of set him back a bit. But again, his tenacity, his determination to get back into first team football. I think he had a stint with Dutton Town as well. His career, you know, you can say there's tinged with a bit of disappointment, particularly what would have happened in Derby County if he continued his upward progression. But again, you know, he's had a good career, but I think he's health is his wealth right now. Let's hope everything goes well in terms of his heart surgery. I think Newport County have come out today to basically say that they'll support him and his family during this tough time. All we would hope for is that Mark O'Brien recovers. And, you know, I think he has an awful lot of to offer the game, particularly in the coaching aspect. I've really rated him, particularly with Newport County in recent seasons. They're lengthy FA Cup runs. He's been prominent. He's been a leader. But also his centre-half play has been absolutely superb. Against the likes of Leicester City or, you know, Tottenham Hotspur, teams like that, really he's kind of shone in those games. So he's shown his, his skill set and his talent. And that's what we'll remember of him for. But let's please God, he'll be all okay with these heart surgeries. And uh, we wish uh, Mark, obviously, the very best in his retirement. And obviously... We would be absolutely delighted to see him continue being able to continue his career in football, hopefully as, as, a, as a coach or as a manager. I'd like to thank Mark for joining me again uh, to discuss the championship return. Uh, I look forward to discussing the performances of Irish players in the remaining games in England, and we hope you'll join us. Thank you.